This episode is brought to you by EarthBreeze, the one New Year's resolution I've ever been able to stick to. It's completely transformed my laundry experience. Gone are the big, heavy plastic jugs, the measuring out of detergent every time. All I do is grab an EarthBreeze wash sheet. All I do is grab an EarthBreeze eco sheet. It looks just like a dryer sheet, except it's slightly less dry. It's ultra concentrated detergent. I throw it in the wash and that's it. Never think about it again. Laundry comes out great, clean, fresh smelling, no harmful chemicals or bleaches or dyes or anything in there. If you want to change up your laundry game this year, right now my listeners can get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled, that's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. This year, I've been looking at what's behind the explosion in disposable plastics. And as you have heard on earlier episodes, nearly everywhere I looked, I found fracking. And the plastics fracking connection has even reached Australia, where the government called its strategy to respond to the pandemic a gas-fired recovery. Oh, hello. What's that? We have an Australian reporter now? (laughs) Yes. You've been asking for it, and now we're digging into the oil and gas industry down under. And when I say we, I mean you, Lyndall Rollins. Welcome to Drilled. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm so excited to be here. New Year's resolutions are almost destined to fail. I resolve almost every year to work less, and we all know it's not going to (laughs) happen. But one thing I have been able to stick to, and you can too, is switching up the way you do laundry in 2024 and grabbing EarthBreeze. I know what you're thinking, laundry is not so fun. Those huge heavy plastic jugs measuring out the right amount, getting goo all over the place. It's annoying. EarthBreeze Eco Sheets totally changed the game. Unlike powder or liquid, EarthBreeze actually looks like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated laundry detergent. And it's super easy. You just throw it into your laundry and that's it. There's no measuring, there's no lugging anything around. Your laundry comes out clean, it smells great. I love it. It's genuinely made my life easier. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, free of bleach and dyes, so it's perfect for every load. You'll never run out of detergent again thanks to EarthBreeze's easy, flexible subscription. You can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties, and you save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Plus, shipping is always free, and EcoSheets are packaged in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. It also gets rid of one more plastic thing in your life. And the company has donated over 100 million loads of laundry and counting to those in need. Right now, my listeners can get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. 440. Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription.
Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple. Such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts. And so, as I was saying, Australia's recovery from the pandemic is fired by gas. Fossil feedstock (laughs) is all of your modern life. You want to live a modern life, you need a fossil feedstock. You can't get carbon any other way. If you want a chemistry lesson, I'll help you at the back. That's Andrew Laveris, the former CEO of Dow Chemicals, the world's second biggest maker of plastic waste. Laveris was born and raised in Darwin in the Northern Territory. He's gone on to advise US presidents, including Obama and Trump. More recently, Laveris was back home in Australia during the pandemic and in his spare time became a strategic advisor to Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison's National COVID-19 Coordination Commission. Laveris joined the Commission's Manufacturing Task Force and they quickly put out a report titled Creating a Competitive Domestic Gas Market. it's absolutely horrific at the moment. We have got blustering winds. We are surrounded by a red sky, choking dust and choking smoke. That is just one of countless dramatic stories to come out of this bushfire season, which is raging on with no relief in sight. The report came out in May 2020 the same month that the devastating fires that had been burning in Australia since June the previous year, 11 months in total, burnt out. Here's Laveris on Australian national television earlier this year, echoing some of the talking points Amy has been reporting on this season around gas. The feedstock Laveris keeps talking about is the byproduct from fracking that gets used to make plastics. The National COVID Commission work we did was for manufacturing. Okay. It wasn't for electricity. It wasn't for doing the power balance or any of that. The work we did was totally based on using the carbon for manufacturing. That's the work we did. Okay. I have no skin in the game to keep in natural gas for power for anything other than a transition. There's no reason to do that mm. because it is an emitter. It's not as big an emitter as coal, but it certainly is an emitter. So you've got to use it as a transition. That's it until batteries become affordable and scalable, until we can actually get more snowy hydros. And why you need a gas pipeline is as much to provide that transition for that, but more for industry, which is why I'm trying to bring it back to the feedstock conversation. So when the former CEO of Dow Chemicals, who is still on the board of some of the world's biggest plastic manufacturers, talks about manufacturing, he's talking about plastics. I looked into the National COVID-19 Coordination Commission report that Laveris contributed to, and sure enough, we get a picture of the subtext of his appearance on Q&A, one of the most popular shows from Australia's public broadcaster, the ABC. 
On page 22, the report describes how domestic demand for gas could grow further if a world-scale ethylene complex were built. Saudi equivalent created $10 billion in revenues and 25,000 jobs. The gas-fired recovery centres on fracking five key strategic gas basins in Australia, and the first to be explored is the Beetaloo Basin in the Northern Territory, near Laveris's hometown, Darwin. Plans to frack the Beetaloo have attracted opposition from at least six First Nations whose country and water will be affected. You know, it's not like it's a big hole in the ground we can cover it all back up. This could destroy country forever. You can't, you know, go back and fix those aquifers, those underground water systems, you can't fix the water once you've destroyed it. Australia has only recognised native titles since the 1990s, but in practice the law gives little protection to sacred sites and drinking water from fracking. More on this in a minute. Under the gas-fired recovery plan, the federal government has handed tens of millions of dollars worth of grants to companies for exploration. In a press release, Minister for Energy and Emissions Reduction, Angus Taylor, declared the Beetaloo Basin was a key element in the gas-fired recovery. Recent exploration has shown promising signs finding liquids-rich gas at a shallower depth than previously expected. Liquids-rich gas, also known as wet gas, is particularly useful for plastics manufacturing, which brings us back to Andrew Leveris's hometown, Darwin where Leveris was also an advisor to the Northern Territory Economic Reconstruction Commission. And the plan is to further industrialise Darwin Harbour to create what they're calling value adds for gas. So that would be the production of plastics and petrochemicals in Darwin Harbour, which we know to be a very toxic process. So why exactly was Leveris on national television teaching us about this word feedstock? Here's Kirsty Howie from the Environment Centre Northern Territory. It's extremely important to resist the development of plants that use gas as a feedstock plastics because they would continue to provide an impetus for further gas field developments, even if demand for gas for energy falls because of climate change concerns. We'll get back to plastics in a bit, but first, let's rewind back to 2019 when exploration first started in the Beetaloo Basin on Gadanji country. Our creation story is about three mermaids that came in from Nooka and they travelled all around the Gulf country and they came to our place where they were really sad for the ocean and so they called up the ocean. That's Ricky Dank, whose ancestors have lived on Gadanji country about 10 hours east of what is now called Darwin for thousands of years. Ricky says that the first her family knew that a two-kilometre deep well would be drilled near one of her family's sacred sites was when her grandmother saw trucks arriving. Water is sacred to Dank's family because in their creation stories, it was mermaids who brought the water inland. Our creation story is about three mermaids that came in from Nooka and they travelled all around the country and they came to our place where they were really sad for the ocean and so they called up the ocean. Gadanji country is mermaids country, where water is sacred and women make the decisions. As a matriarchal family, it's Riki's grandmothers who are the senior Nimarinki. Our country is Marabana, which means it's mermaids country, women's country. So women make the decisions for our country. So that's why you'll see when I'm talking, it'll be me or my grannies, our senior Nimarinki. 
my grandmother's talking for country, so it's women's country. Ricky's grandmothers have seen a lot in their lifetimes. They were only finally given native title to parts of their land in the 1990s, when Australian courts overturned the myth that Australia was uninhabited before colonisers arrived, known as Terra Nullius. It really upsets me because my grandmothers were made to work with no pay. They were essentially slaves by people coming onto their land and basically taking away their rights and their freedom. And I feel like it's kind of happening again now to them that you know, people again coming onto their country and stealing it after it was rightfully handed back to us by the courts. Ricky says her family were not properly consulted before fracking started on their land. The Northern Land Council and Empire Energy claim that consultations did take place, including during community meetings where Ricky's grandmother, who Ricky says does not read or speak English, was present. A moratorium on fracking in the Northern Territory was only lifted after the government made commitments, including that an independent body would be responsible for consultations. At a Senate inquiry earlier this year, many concerns were raised about the process, including the independence of research on the effects of fracking on land and water in Australia, much of which is funded by the gas industry itself. Ricky's family has passed down the knowledge that the water on their country is special from generation to generation. But Australia's national science body, the CSIRO, is only just beginning to catch up. Earlier this year, the CSIRO released new research showing that the water in the aquifer is connected across hundreds of kilometres after they discovered that tiny animals living in the aquifer, known as stygofauna, are closely related. The scientific studies through the Northern Territory, they're way behind. They're basically flying through the dark. Here's Nicholas Miliari Fitzpatrick, a Yanua and Garawa man and a community organiser for Seed Mob, speaking to a Senate inquiry about the scientists' discovery. They need to go and do all that scientific study. It's only just been proven that the B. Lewis connected to Mataranka through these little prawns in the water. And they're the same. They're brother and sister. They're not cousins. They're the same. So they're very well connected in the same water table. And that kind of scientific research needs to be undertaken across the whole Northern Territory before anything like this happens. I heard before someone was talking about, oh, the water's not physically connected. Well, go and physically prove that because I'm pretty sure no one's done that work. You cannot just say that that's not physically connected. We know for thousands of years that a lot of these water tables have been connected and science only catching up now and you can actually see the water pulsating out of the ground in certain places. And in those places you can't actually see, you know, where the bottom is because, of course, it's connected to the aquifer. For Ricky's family and thousands of First Nations people, the water from the aquifer is literally life. Fracking poses risks to their water supply as well as her family's cattle farm. Yet, despite the risks, the Australian government has been providing funding for exploration in the region. In recent years, Australia has been selling the idea that gas is a transition fossil fuel. Although this hasn't stopped the government from approving new coal mines, it has led Australia to becoming the world's second biggest exporter of gas after Qatar. So we've gone from being a relatively small gas exporter to being the first or second largest 
LNG exporter in the world. You know, Qatar is, you know, usually it's, a, it's either us or them. That's Dan Gosher from the Australasian Centre for Corporate Responsibility. They currently have a court case pending against one of Australia's biggest gas companies, Santos, over its claims that natural gas is clean energy. Although the industry is leaning heavily in Australia on the supposed get-out-of-jail-free card of carbon capture and storage, even Andrew Leveris, as we heard earlier, is aware that demand for gas as an energy source is falling. One in four Australian households now have rooftop solar and there are plans for a solar farm in the Beetaloo Basin that would export renewable energy to Singapore. But this hasn't stopped both of Australia's major political parties, the Liberal Party, which in Australia is our right-wing Conservative Party, and the Labor Party, which is the major centre-left party, from backing a significant increase in Australia's emissions by fracking five new basins, including the Beetaloo. And we had been speaking to politicians about this and warning them about this. But from our understanding and our feeling that politicians are welcoming fracking, they're welcoming mining, there seems to be a push towards this kind of industry in Australia, even though, you know, everywhere else they're stopping it. Among the companies planning to frack the Beetaloo, one relatively junior company known as Empire Energy has done surprisingly well, attracting $26 million in government grants and tax subsidies. Empire got its start in the heart of fracking, Pennsylvania, but has recently switched its strategy to focus on Australia's Northern Territory. The Environment Centre Northern Territory is currently in court challenging the Australian government for providing a $21 million grant to a subsidiary of Empire Energy called Imperial Oil and Gas. Yes, they really called their companies Empire and Imperial. And the likely emissions from fracking the Beetaloo Basin are exorbitant. It was estimated that they could increase Australia's total emissions by some 8%. And subsequently, it became apparent that actually that might have been a vast underestimation. And indeed, its emissions could increase Australia's emissions by up to 20% and really undermine any ability for Australia to meet its already paltry targets under the Paris Agreement. So if fracking is so profitable, why do the companies behind it in Australia need government subsidies to fund exploration? Amy has been asking a lot of questions about the supposed profits of fracking this season. Questions about the economic benefits of the industry also came up during a Senate inquiry into fracking in the Beetaloo Basin earlier this year. Here's Senator Sarah Hansen-Young of the Australian Greens questioning the Managing Director of Empire Energy, Alex Underwood. Okay, so you haven't actually pumped anything into the Australian economy yet? Uh, No, I would uh, disagree with that, Senator. We are investing heavily in the Australian economy Uh, right now. We carried out a seismic program in Thame. We drilled our first well in 2019. Uh, We carried out fracture stimulation and flow testing of that well uh, earlier this year, and we will continue to invest, and that is um, putting uh, capital into Australia's economy. This is the two-kilometre-deep exploration mine that Ricky Dank's grandmother discovered was going in when she saw trucks turning up on their country. Can you tell us how much tax, company tax, Empire and its subsidiaries have paid in Australia in the recent years? 
Certainly. Well, we've never generated profits in Australia and so there's no tax on which to pay because we've only ever generated losses. We obviously pay um, we obviously pay taxes associated with the payrolls and so on and so forth for the, the people that we employ in this country, um, but we have not ever generated a profit that would uh, have tax paid on it. Mm-hmm. So you haven't paid any company taxes yet. Um, how many people do you employ? Uh, so in, uh, in, in terms of direct full-time employees in Australia, it's approximately um, around eight. Uh, and then when we carry out work programs, uh, obviously they are not uh, people directly employed by our company, but that can, that can grow to you know, 30 to 50 people at a time. Uh, we also um, you know, provide a lot of work for um, Australian small businesses, uh, including consultants, uh, that you know, would be roughly double that eight people full-time workforce. Mm-hmm. So Empire Energy, which has received millions in government subsidies, has yet to make a profit in Australia and employs 50 or less people here. So where exactly will the money and jobs that will make fracking the Beetaloo Basin profitable come from? Here's Leveris again on Q&A. This time, he's been questioned by another panellist on the show, former Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, about a pretty questionable figure Liveris had just mentioned. Andrew, where are the 850,000 jobs that use gas as feedstock? Uh, Fertilisers, plastics, chemicals, explosives. There are 850,000 people working in Australia making plastics, is that right? Not plastics, all those industries. I I don't think that's true. Q&A is a live program and often the host will fact-check claims during the show, but in this case, the ABC took over a month to put out a correction. It seems somehow the former CEO and advisor to US presidents got confused and was referring to the total number of people working in manufacturing in Australia. And behind this manufacturing task force, you know, he claimed that there was 850,000 jobs that were currently dependent on gas as a feedstock and that's pretty much the number in all manufacturing, which so we know that it's only about 10% of those jobs are actually dependent on gas to manufacture uh, products, whether it's fertilisers, plastics and chemicals and so on. So the numbers were completely overstated. The Northern Territory government released maps as parts of a tender process that show hundreds of hectares designated for potential use as ethylene and petrochemical plants on Darwin Harbour. It is also a place which has a very high concentration of mangroves, of incredible biodiversity values, is used by local people for fishing and recreation and, of course, has been used for many thousands of years by the Larrakia people. And what's proposed in Middle Arm is when you look at the map of what's proposed, which was released as part of a tender last year, in the Northern Territory, it shows Milan pretty much obliterated and completely covered by a range of industrial facilities to essentially facilitate gas production, processing, and these value adds for gas for plastics, petrochemicals, etc. Even if the transition to renewable energy sees demand for Beetaloo gas fall, As Amy has reported, the industry is banking on demand for plastics increasing, despite the environmental costs. Clearly, plastics produce greenhouse gas emissions at every stage of their life cycle, including, most notably, their decomposition at the end of life in landfill across the world. 
So far, the government has given about $50 million to companies exploring fracking in the Beetaloo, but these grants are relatively small in comparison to the billions of dollars that both the Federal and Northern Territory governments will potentially have to spend on roads and pipelines in order for private companies to pipe the gas to Darwin. Yet, the Senate inquiry also heard that despite the significant costs to the public, gas companies in Australia only sporadically pay company taxes. Here's Nicholas Miliari Fitzpatrick again, telling the Senate inquiry what $50 million could mean to Indigenous communities. Fixing roads, more houses. We need programs in reviving our language and cultural practices, but also into tourism and building small businesses in our communities. There's so much potential for building our economy in that area of tourism and even cultural education. You know, there's a lot of Australians out there that need cultural education. We split up too much. But, yeah, there's plenty of other ways to use that $50 million. And there's, we are in poverty up here in the Territory. Like, we we got a mine next to our country there, MacArthur River Mine, making billions of dollars. And you go and look at Borrelua. Borrelua don't look like a billion-dollar place. It looks like it's been forgotten for 30 years, and that's exactly what's happened. Like, there's no footpaths anywhere around Borrelua. The kids are still walking on the road. There has been people by getting run over on them roads. You know, we need to be really thinking for the future for all of us. Like, these kind of industries, all it's doing is hurting us even more. We got the most number in juvenile prison, most suicides. We've been in pain ever since colonization. We're trying to recover and get back to, get on our feet. And industries like this threaten our water. Well, we live on water, everything runs off water, trees, animals. We're the driest continent on earth. Put that $50 million into building a huge water security around the NT. For Ricky's family, the potential damage caused by fracking could irreversibly destroy their sacred sites and cultural practices. If this happens, we won't be able to continue being going out bush, which means we won't be able to continue our ceremony. We won't be able to, you know, follow our song lines, which is so deeply connected to water. So we're scared, not just for our country, but for our culture that this will discontinue our 65,000 years of being. So that's what fracking means to us. It feels like you're trying to grasp water and it's slipping through your hands. That's how it feels like when you're trying to protect country. And this is why we want to look after it because we know how precious it is. Wow. Lyndall, this is an incredible story, and it reminds me so much of all the stories we've been hearing about in communities where they're just kind of being ambushed by fracking here in the U.S. too. One of the people that you spoke with said this too, but it does just really strike me as odd that while other countries are starting to realize that they need to give fracking the boot, Australia is doubling down on it. Yeah, it's really not great. And the scientific research that the government is supposed to be doing on the environmental impacts of fracking the Beetaloo is being funded by the gas industry. So I'm sure that's fine. And so these five big fracking companies got together and basically injected a whole lot of money into the CSIRO 
and said, we want to be the ones who do the research on what the impacts of oil and gas extraction are in Australia. That's Mark Oag from the Australia Institute, who closely follows the research being done at Australia's National Science Agency, the CSIRO, by an initiative funded by five of our biggest fracking companies called the Gas Industry Social and Environmental Research Alliance, or Chisera for short. A study that Chisera did on potential contamination of air, soil and water by fracking. And what they did was looked at six wells in Queensland and did some sampling around those six wells. Now, there's 19,000 wells in Queensland. So they chose a very, very small sample. And that sample of wells was chosen by Origin Energy, the proponent company, right? And Origin obviously have a huge vested interest in not finding contamination at their wells. Industry funding of research has been growing in Australia, where universities were particularly badly hit by the pandemic. I looked into this advanced manufacturing partnership of Obama's, which Laveris was the co-chair of back in 2013, and I found that they put out this report that recommended eliminating caps on the amount of corporate investment in university research programs. And Laveris isn't afraid to get behind a bit of industry-funded research himself, At the beginning, I mentioned he is the former CEO of Dow Chemicals, um, the world's second biggest maker of plastic waste. Well, that figure actually came from the Mindaroo Foundation, a philanthropic organisation, and who was a director on the board of Mindaroo? Andrew Laveris. Oh, God. So at this point, is there anything that Ricky Dank and her family can do? I know you mentioned a suit. Could that potentially put a stop to this? Unfortunately, a lot of the problems are around the colonial laws that have done so little to protect the native title that Ricky's grandmothers won back. Ricky says her family have struggled to find lawyers to represent them in addressing how the consultations around native title take place. Currently, both of Australia's major political parties support fracking the Beetaloo, but the Senate inquiry heard from a lot of other traditional owners with similar concerns to Ricky's families and will hand down its findings next year. Ugh, that is it for this time. Lyndall, definitely keep us posted on this, and I appreciate you bringing this story to us. We will be back with more episodes on the gas industry in the months ahead, so make sure you're subscribed so you won't miss it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Drilled is an original Critical Frequency production. Today's episode was reported by Lyndall Rollins. Our producer is Juliana Bradley, mixing and mastering by Peter Duff. Our First Amendment attorney is James Wheaton of the First Amendment Project. Big thanks to our latest Patreon supporters, Mary McMorris, Goel, Evelyn Carlson, Maureen DeCom, and Celine Keller. If you would like to support our work, you can do that at patreon.com slash drilled. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.